Welcome to Fight Heads Live, hosted by Ramon R.L. Malpica from Prizefighter and Sean Heimberger from Thoughts of RS. You can call into the show anytime at 646-787-1746. Me and you, we're, we're Fight Heads. That's, you know, we, we love boxing. We're passionate about it. Um, and I know you guys listen out there. You guys are too. I mean, listen, you guys are streaming a boxing show. Fighting technological changes is like going out and screaming at the wind and asking it to stop blowing. Hey, the things we do to talk boxing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like getting four different animals to poop in a box and say which one smells the worst. And we're back. Fight Heads Live. I'm your host, Ramon R.L. Malpica, with my co-host Sean Heinberger from Thoughts of RS. How's it going today, Sean? Doing really well, Ramon, and you know that intro makes me wince every time. <laughs> that, 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 that crap in a box thing, you know, I don't even remember saying that. It just, it just cracks me up every time I hear it. Well, you know, it's that spontaneity that comes out when speaking of the dreadful uh, WBC, WBA, IBF, and uh, WBL governing bodies. <laughs> It brings it sure out does. the best it, it, in you. It, it sure does. Uh, Ramon, <laughs> let's get started. We have a special guest tonight, and we're praying to God the technology works. As Ramon said coming in, technology. Uh, <laughs> we have Al Bernstein from Showtime Championship Boxing. Many of you old-timers like myself will know Al from his days at ESPN, and Al's agreed to, to spend a few minutes with us. So let's keep our fingers crossed and hope our good friend Mr. Technology allows this to happen. Hello. Hello. Yep. Hi, Al. This is Sean from Fightheads. We got you live on the air. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's a a pleasure to have you on the show. A longtime fan ever since uh, uh, your your work at the 80s with ESPN. It's it's quite a thrill to have you on the show. Well, I'm happy to be. Glad that we hooked up for this. Uh, we got uh, Ramon Malpica down in Dallas. He's on the other end. Ramon, introduce yourself. Hey, Al, big fan, man. Just glad you could make the show today. Thank you, Ramon. Nice to meet you. All right, nice to meet you as well. Al, I, I, because our time's limited today, we're, I want to try to keep it a little bit to the current boxing scene. Maybe we okay. can bring you back. Maybe we can bring you back down the road and talk about all those great uh, top rank and Saturday sure. night fight stories. Uh, Absolutely. The first, the first thing on on my mind is because you work for one of the two major, for lack of a better term, leagues in boxing, mm-hmm. in Showtime, uh, with HBO having a budget crunch and then an unexpected windfall from the Canelo injury, uh, right. how does that how does that affect Showtime and the uh, quality of shows that they're bringing? Because I I haven't seen a schedule for the fall yet. Yeah, well, I think we're um, our, our schedule was a little front loaded, and they haven't really announced um, what's still to come in the last couple of months. <clears throat> so we're actually a little lighter than than normal. Um, now, HBO interestingly has announced several fights coming up, and they're actually very good fights, uh, which is good for boxing fans. <clears throat> but I, we're gonna, I think. I, the last thing I was told, very shortly there'll be some announcements on some uh, fights coming up in 
<clears throat> November and uh, December. But I know they're working on, they've been working on a couple different things. Um, and we've had a little bit of a, a dark period, but uh, which is kind of uncharacteristic. But, but I think in uh, November and December they're going to be announcing um, a couple of fights. But, but the HBO actually, to give them credit, um, even though they have, they it looked like they were kind of contracting. They did, uh, they have announced a couple of fights coming up, which could be fun. R- really excited about Vasily Lomachenko against Nicholas. Yeah, that's a, that's absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a great fight. Another thing that kind of deals with that is the prospect, should it be worked out contractually, of Daniel Jacobs crossing the street to fight Gennady Golovkin on HBO uh, because of the contract with Golovkin. And it also, in a way, effect has always been the shadow hanging over the Sergey Kovalev Adonis Stevenson fight is that Golovkin and Kovalev are their contracts with HBO and the promoter. Right. Uh, right. How do you think that that sets up for Daniel Jacobs? Should he pull a monumental upset and, and bring the prestige of the middleweight title over to your side of the fence? Well, I mean, that would, that fight, obviously, you know, for Daniel Jacobs, that's a, a major fight for him. Uh, and while no one has been able to uh, beat Gennady Golovkin, though Kelbrook had some some good moments in the last fight, um, for Daniel Jacobs that would be a monstrous win. And uh, you're right, we would probably then get to do uh, some of his fights if he after that if he won the championship. Or won, he's already got a championship, but if he beat Golovkin and won his version of the championship, um, and so yeah, it's a very big moment for Danny Jacobs and you have to I love the idea of him fighting Golovkin because we want to see Golovkin in against the best middleweights that exist and right now Jacobs would make you know if we if they can't make the Canelo fight uh which apparently not um which is a while Canelo's not even fighting a middleweight still that's a fight that clearly resonates with fans then seeing him fight Danny Jacobs would make a lot of sense I've been sometimes critical of Daniel Jacobs, although he, he is the best. He is, by rate of attrition, he's clearly the best right. middleweight up under Golovkin. What, what yeah, afraid, right. That's a, that's a good way to put it, probably under attrition. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders might make an argument, but, but probably at the end of the day, uh, Danny would be in that position. Uh, what, I, what I've been critical of is, is actually um, last week's show, uh, I talked to Ramon about the fact that other than the Quillen win, Jacobs doesn't have a monumental, even really top five, top ten opponent on his record, other than the loss of Dimitri Pirog. Uh, well, that's do true. Think, do, do you think that perhaps Jacobs is kind of, like, like we said, by attrition, but is it possible that his inactivity – since the Quillen fight is going to work against him in that fight because he really hasn't been tested other than the Pirog fight. And in the fight he was tested, he folded up. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think you're right that the, the, the long layoff is not good for him. He would have liked to have been more active, I'm sure. Um, but, but he wasn't. And, um, and it's also true. And it's a fair statement to say that, other than the Quillen fight, we and you mentioned the Pirov fight, which was some years ago when he did lose, um, that he's kind of an unknown quantity in some ways. Um, and I think the, the thing we saw in the Quillen fight 
was kind of evidence of the fact that Danny Jacobs can hit pretty hard, but he needs to get to you before you get to him if you're an upper echelon, high-quality fighter. And of course, Gennady Golovkin hits with huge power. There's no question Jacobs goes into that fight an underdog. I will tell you, though, from conversations with him, and I think this probably, you know, I get the genuine impression he thinks he can win that fight. Now, of course, you know, all fighters are supposed to think they can win the fight, but it wasn't like big bravado. I, I felt like, because uh, he's a pretty reasoned guy. Uh, now, does that mean he's going to? That's another story. Uh, but having the confidence is at least the beginning part. But clearly he's an underdog against Golovkin. Everybody is who is a middleweight or below. Because oh, um, of your side. <clears throat> go ahead, go ahead, Ramon. Oh no, 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 no! I was gonna, I was gonna jump in and um and ask Al a question real quick, uh, just on because uh, you know talking Jacobs and also talking uh, uh, Triple G at the at the middleweight division. Um, you know, me and Sean were talking about what we felt was the strongest division in boxing, and. and mm-hmm kind of sided towards the welterweight division. I kind of sided towards the junior uh, middleweight yeah. division. Yeah, uh, it's a great division. Outlook? Yeah, what, what, what's your outlook on the junior middleweight division? And I love that. I love out? that division. Yeah, that's a very nuanced choice because it's a division that, you know, doesn't always get all the attention. But if you put Canelo right. in there and he's fighting at 154, the Charlo twins, uh, Demetrius Andre, uh, Arislandi Lara, uh, who am I leaving out? You'll probably help me on that. There's there's several other really good fighters at 154 pounds, um, and they're all very talented. Yeah, J. Rock Williams and possibly even Kel Brook. J-Rock, yeah, there you go. J- good point. J. Rock Williams and Kel Brook moving up. So when you look at those uh, those fighters, um, and even the people that are on the fringe, the Willie Nelsons and people like that are very good fighters. Uh, and there, I just did a fight. Um, on CBS Sports Network, which John Vera uh, uh, won by knockout. And he's not quite at that level, but I'll tell you what, he's a left-hander who hits with huge power, and, uh, and he's a guy that could, could you know, make his way into that, uh, into that discussion. So it's a very deep division. They need to get to fighting each other, but that, right. we're always saying that in boxing. Um, but I think <laughs> they will. Yeah, that, when, when, did, when have we not said that, unfortunately, yeah. in recent years? But I'm really hoping that they that they're going to start making some of the matches in that uh, weight class that makes sense. Well, I, I want to follow up on that, but first I wanted to say I watched a John Vera fight uh, on, uh-huh. on the knockout night at the D, and it, it, it's really funny as a old school pro wrestling fan to hear Jim Ross, my my, <laughs> my, my, rest, my wrestling favorite announcer, with my boxing favorite announcer, was kind of uh. a real experience for me. Yeah, it's interesting people have been commenting on it. You know, I think Jim is doing a nice job on the boxing, and and I think that he's, uh, you know, one of the good things is he'll, he'll show his personality and we have fun on it, but he's very serious about it, and God knows he does his homework on all these fighters. So uh, it's fun working with him. He's a cool guy, and, uh, um, and I get a lot of that where people, will, you know, find it fun that, you know, there's this crossover thing going on. Well, another um, another big topic in boxing right now seems to be the situation with Vladimir Klitschko and Tyson Tyson mm. Fury obviously having his issues. But you know, the big rumor is there's a possible Anthony yeah. Joshua Vladimir Klitschko fight on the loom. What's your take on that? 
Oh, I think it'd be wonderful, and that would probably be something we'd be involved with with Showtime, and I think that's part of maybe what they're looking at, too, uh, because we are going to show all of Joshua's fights now in the United States. I think it would be terrific. Um, you know, I, I know Tyson Fury from the days when I used to do his fights on Channel 5, the British network, uh, and I knew him back when he was beginning, and, you know, it's interesting. when you, At least back then, when you get Tyson Fury and it's just a couple people in the room, he was a charming, interesting, funny, and eclectic guy. Um, over the course of time, uh, you know, his personality has become outsized and bizarre. Um, and at first I thought it was all an act, but, you know, clearly there are issues there. And I, I feel bad for Tyson Fury. I hope he can get his life together, forget the boxing. Um, but uh, what it's it left a kind of a void. And let's give Vladimir Klitschko all the credit in the world. You know, his whole career, he's never ducked a soul, has he? Never. And here he oh, is. No. Here he is, an older fighter coming off a loss. And who does he absolutely seek out and these people seek out? This big, strong, dangerous, young heavyweight. Um, now, granted, he's got a lot of experience on him, and maybe there's the school of thought that you get Joshua now as opposed to a year from now. But right. either way, I, I give both of them credit because here's Joshua willing to jump in. Uh, and I just think it would be great for boxing. It would be interesting. And, uh, and I think, don't you think, even in the United States, I think people would find it intriguing. Oh, and any time a heavyweight championship is on the line, you know, that's always going to, you know, open the eyes of even the most casual sports fans. So I think that'd be tremendous. Yeah, and it's kind of a, it would be a, you know, it's a kind of a, a, a passing of the torch kind of fight, although certainly Klitschko doesn't want to pass the torch, uh, <laughs> even though he led that loss with, with Fury, but still, um, you know, he's a, fans know of him as a, uh, as what was the recognized heavyweight champion. So it would be very interesting to, to have that fight. And the heavyweight division has started to engender more interest now, you know. Um, yes. the, the Fury Klitschko thing, the, Deontay Wilder, <coughs> excuse me, becoming an Amer the first American champion for a while and stirring up some interest. And, and Joshua, who I honestly think is going to be, could, I'm not going to say going to be, could be a superstar in the sport. Potential is definitely there. And then I'm not, not oh, only yeah. that, I mean, yeah. if, if Joshua were to win, just thinking long term, I mean, that would bring the heavyweight championship to a side where a Deontay Wilder fight could happen and more yes, easily precisely. to happen as well. Right. And, you know, Joshua has a version of the title, as does Wilder. So that fight was always one that will, but, but this would make it more marketable. That was always a fight that I think they had on the radar screen for next year. Uh, and, and imagine how much bigger it would be if Joshua uh, beat Klitschko to uh, in, in advance of that fight. I think it could really, um, I think it could really be an interesting fight. And Deontay Wilder is known over in England, and Joshua now getting better known in the United States. Um, so between the two, I, you know, I think it could be a fascinating. That would be a really uh, marketable and interesting fight. Al, do, do you think that? How did you see, because uh, you would have been announcing the fight, how did you see the Wilder-Povetkin fight that before the drug mess happened? How did you see that playing out? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I thought it was going to be an interesting struggle for Deontay Wilder going across the pond. Uh, Povetkin is not the easiest guy to fight. 
and I thought we were going to really find out everything we needed to know about Deontay Wilder in that fight. You know, uh, I, I didn't think it was going to be an easy situation for him. Um, and, uh, you know, we got deprived of it because of the drug issue. Um, but I, I, you know, I really thought, uh, I really thought that was going to be a unique test for him. And, uh, you know, Wilder, you were talking before about Danny Jacobs. Wilder's almost in the same position. You know, we, we don't know about Deontay Wilder yet. You know, he beat Stavern, which a lot of people didn't think he was going to do, but it was a Stavern that didn't fight well and seemed diminished. So we're left with a lot of questions still about Deontay Wilder, even though he has a title. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to, we'll see those answered when he fights a, either a Joshua or a Klitschko or maybe Joseph Parker or somebody of that ilk. Uh, the, the thing that I wonder the, about Wilder is, like you said, just like Danny Jacobs, he's got really one name on the resume. Right. And and he fought completely differently in that fight than he did yes. in most of his other fights, which is a plus. It shows he can be versatile. Mm-hmm. But the thing, that made him, the thing that's made him so popular is the – Walking, walking fighters down and, and banging and right. trying to take them out. And he didn't fight that way against Stavern. And that makes me wonder, is that the true Deontay Wilder against world-class competition? Well, we've seen him even in the fights, the other championship fights he's had, they've gone a ways, right? Uh, and against the, the um, last fighter, I'm forgetting his name, the Polish fighter, um, but uh, even though I announced that fight, but then you know the '80s, the '80s were good to me, so I forget things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was around for the whole decade, so uh, not everything sticks. But um, the, you know, he's going longer in fights. When he stepped up, he wasn't knocking everybody out with one punch, and has been forced to go longer. So he's going to need those boxing skills. Um, and I think I—that's th- a good point you raise. You know. I don't know if we're going to see Deontay Wilder starching people early in fights and in one, you know, punch like he did against the lesser competition, even though he can hit, certainly. Arthur Spilk. Thing, uh, <laughs> that we got both of us talking here. Yeah, oh, my Go bad. ahead, <laughs> No, and I was saying it was Arthur Spilka, the guy that um, – Ar- Ar- Arthur, Arthur Spilka, out. thank you very, very much. No, no so you, did, you didn't have to live through the 80s, so you remember that. <laughs> I, I did. I was a kid watching the old ESPN. There uh, you go. Yeah, You were too I, young I to do anything bad, though. I, I absolutely want to bring you back and talk about the whole the ESPN title belts and Roger Stafford. I got tons of that stuff I want to talk about. Oh, boy. But, Roger Stafford, there's a guy from the – somebody was bringing up the other day a couple fighters from that era and uh, all those ESPN shows, and it was uh, uh, it was fun to – to listen to them, you know, uh, remember all those guys. So somebody, somebody will bring up a name because we did so many fighters on that series, and somebody will bring up a name that I haven't thought of in, you know, in years, and uh, and then the fight will flood back to my mind, and we'll think about it. But that was a wonderful time doing the the um, ESPN series in the '80s and into the mid '90s. It was uh, it was great, and somebody. Uh, you know, now I get the chance to see Barry Tompkins from time to time at our Showtime fights because he does Showbox, and then he'll come and do the Show Extreme. And um, we had a partnership for eight years on that series, and uh, to me, that was kind of the, the one of the defining um, uh, things about that series. Well, you you, you were blessed with several good, but you Sal Marciano and Sam. Oh, Rosen. Bob. 
Bob Papa, Sam Rosen, uh, Barry, and then uh, got to Showtime and had a long collaboration with Steve Albert. I've been very, very privileged to uh, to work with some wonderful, wonderful people, and that's you know that's been uh, to me that's one of the that's one of the the uh, great things about um, uh, about being involved in the sports TV world and sports casting. You get to work with some some great, great partners. In my book, I listed literally everybody I've worked with. It was a long list. And, plug plug uh, your book for us, Al. I, I've, I have it off Amazon, but plug your book. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice of you. Um, yeah, it's called 30 Years, 30 Undeniable Truths. And uh, it's um, uh, about 30 Years, 30 Undeniable Truths about boxing, sports, and TV. And um, it's a fun, as you know from reading it, it's a, it's a lighthearted, fun book. Uh, I don't have any big agenda in it for the most part. It's just more um, trying to recount a lot of stories and uh, talk about a lot of the people I have met over the course of the 35 years I've been doing this. And um, uh, hopefully people get a few laughs and some uh, and some fun information out of it. Well, I definitely hope we can get you back for a longer period of time to talk about those old days. But sure. before you leave, before you leave, we know, we we, uh, we only have a limited amount of time with you. It wouldn't be fair if I didn't ask about the seeming money issues with Premier Boxing Champions. Showtime is loosely hooked up with them, even though right. not technically. Uh, with so many great fighters on their side, and as a result, your side, right. the seeming reluctance of their, of whether it's Al Heyman or whomever, to put the best against the best, why do you feel that reluctance is and why is it – do you see it changing in the near future? Well, here's the thing about that. If you look back at the whole PBC, and there's no question that next year is going to be a um, a year of change in boxing because we don't know. You know, The PBC experiment may be toward its end. It may not. Who knows? Um, certainly I would think Heyman as a manager would be still involved, although I understand he's let go a lot of fighters and he had signed a, you know, a huge amount. But next year is going to be a, a change, uh, kind of a transitional year for boxing because we don't know what's going to happen with this whole PBC experiment. Um, and, uh, and all the forces in boxing will kind of, once again, will have a little um, uh, a transition. where we, I, Anybody that tells you they know exactly how it's going to end up, I think, is, is just they're guessing more than anything. Um, but, you know, the, the funny thing about the PBC thing, and I'm not associated with them in any way, shape, or form. I've never announced one PBC fight that was a PBC fight that wasn't Showtime. So i don't not really hooked up with them on any official basis. But um, the perception is that, for the most part, they haven't quite made the matches people wanted to see among their fighters. And there's some truth in that. I, I didn't, it, it'd be silly to, to, uh, to argue against that. But they have done it on occasion, fights like Thurman Porter and things of that nature. Uh, and we saw Frampton, uh, Santa Cruz, and uh, Santa Cruz Mares. And, you know, there were, there were fights that they did. They, they also got fortunate, if you will, with some fights that it didn't look like on paper were going to be great, but turned out to be. But, but, yes, the expectations, I'm sure, of boxing fans were with all that with that huge, uh, you know, stable of fighters, that that would have been seen more often. And I, I can't speak for them. I don't know what they're, what they're, you know, we're thinking in most cases. Um, I, I did do once do look through their 
I was curious, so I, I, I tallied up all their matches and uh, went down their list just because I was curious and I was going to do a little uh, a boxing hangout about it. And I, I figured out that 50%, right around 50% of their matches, their main matches in the second fight underneath, if you just took those, about 50% were actually pretty good fights. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't, Spill doesn't speak to your question, were they the ones we absolutely wanted to see in every case? Probably not necessarily. But the ironic thing was, whether it was by accident or by design, 50% is about the normal rate, you know, that you expect from, from, uh, from promoters. You know, as you look back in life, that's probably, a, probably about the way it goes because, you know, you, you never know about matches. But there's no question I think people wanted to see more of the marquee uh, fighters getting together, even though, as I mentioned, you could probably pick out about six or seven really good examples of them doing it. Gail Durrell is an example. I mean, you can go down the line, but uh, but some didn't happen. A perfect example, or just not to this point, we were, uh, DeGale was supposed to fight Badu Jack, and that hasn't materialized, but in a bunch of, of other fights. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to exactly why more of them have not materialized. And, of course, we don't know moving forward what will be the story? I mean, I think, it, you know, everyone understands that they have, I mean, I don't think it's a big, you know, have to be an investigative reporter to figure out that uh, some of their resources have been depleted. Um, and uh, nobody probably knows the, the true number other than them of where they're at in terms of uh, money available and money spent and all the rest of it. But clearly, uh, they're going through a transitional period as well. So I, I just think it's going to be real interesting in 2017 to see where everything, when the dust settles, where are we left with everything in boxing, you know? Um, and it's going to be intriguing uh, between, because, you know, the dynamic uh, in terms of the promoters, Oscar De La Hoya's company still standing, uh, top rank, of course, very strong, uh, you know, as always, uh, Heyman has his fighters and whether it's under the PBC banner using other promoters or however it is it's another force though because of that settlement that Aram did with Heyman and the fact that they seem like there's a possibility they'll work together that will add another dynamic to, to, to perhaps to the sport Now we haven't seen too much example of it yet but there is the feeling that they might work together so all of that put into to play should make this next year a fascinating one. It, it's just frustrating as a fan. But, uh, the poster child for this is Danny Garcia. Uh, yeah, he, I agree. He, That's a very good point. Yes, no, I think some of those fighters have been inactive. Uh, they, in some cases, they haven't fought uh, exactly the people you want. And probably Danny Garcia is the perfect example of that. You know, we would have expected and wanted to see Danny Garcia uh, in against some of the other top welterweights. And I don't know, you know, is that a, a function of Danny Garcia and his, his not being willing to enter into those fights uh, or what? You know, it's, you never, it's always hard to pinpoint exactly why it happens. But, yeah, there have been a, a certain amount of fighters that, you know, have not quite – I mean, you know, the, the perfect example of, of, of doing the right thing was – uh, Sean Porter and Keith Thurman getting together, and then what did they do? They created a great fight, and and uh, San Leo Santa Cruz and Frampton, and Leo Santa Cruz and Mares. Those are the kind of fights that 
we would want to see more of, um, and uh, you know, from the Heyman stable, and uh, you know, they have been there, but but not as plentiful as people would like. And some of the fighters, I know, I saw a list of some of the fighters in his group who have fought literally just one time this year. Um, and, you know, that's not good. That's not good for them. It's not good for the sport. Uh, so hopefully we'll see more activity, you know, um, from some of these bigger names next year and hopefully some, some really good matches. And it's not that this year in boxing, you know, I would rate this year in boxing a C-plus to a B. You know, it, it you could probably get to a B because there really have been some really good matches. And, uh, and overall in boxing, especially if you count – you know, when you think of what's going on internationally in the sport and especially in the U.K., there's been a lot of really good moments and, and good fights and good matches. But, but the, 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 the part that kind of clouds it is what you're talking about. That they're, And this is where boxing gets in trouble. Now, in 2013, when boxing had the best year it's had in 25 years, in my opinion, it, it seemed like every big match we wanted almost was made. Uh, you know, there was dozens and dozens of terrific matches that ended up being great. And I really thought that was going to be the beginning of what would be the new normal. And 2014 was okay. 2015, not that fantastic. And 2016 has been all right. Um, it isn't that those years haven't given us good matches. They have uh, some great matches. Uh, but in general, they didn't live up to the year 2013. Um, and I think that's, you know, uh, that's unfortunate because I, I always thought that year by osmosis, you know, uh, uh, that people understood we've got to make the good fights because that's boxing now is a sport where there's no, it's not like baseball, football, and basketball where we understand who's the, the, the champion in every division. There are, you know, multiple champions. Uh, it's hard to know. The sport doesn't have a structure anymore. So it is judged almost totally on the matches that it makes and how good those matches are and how important those matches are. Now, the perfect example is that if you base it just on competitive fights, 2015 is not a bad year at all. But, and 2014, or 2016, I should say, and 2015 wasn't bad at all in terms of competitive fights. But if, if, if you're not making the ones, all the ones that fans really, really want to see, even though they may be getting a, a big proportion of interesting and exciting fights, still you haven't really fulfilled your mission statement as a sport. I'm going to ask you one more question, and I'll let Ramon ask one more before we let you go. Who do you like Kovalev Ward and why? Um, I lean toward Andre Ward. Um, I think that's a 50-50 fight. And certainly could go either way. Uh, even though Ward's coming up to 175, I, I think Andre Ward is one of those people that, I've, and of course I did a lot of his fights during the Super Eight or Super Six uh, <laughs> tournament. Um, I, I believe he's he's a winner. You know, he's one of those people that we, I would liken him almost to. You know how certain starters in baseball they find ways to win, uh, even the guys that may not have the best fastball or the best breaking ball or whatever it is, they find a way to win. And that's the way Andre Ward is. And, of course, he is very skilled. Um, and I just think he will find a way to outbox Kovalev. Now, having said that, 
clearly Kovalev will have the edge in power. Um, and and Kovalev is not a bad boxer. It's not that he is an unskilled laborer in the ring. Um, but Andre Ward, I just think, has finds these ways to, to win fights. I've been critical of Andre Ward, but I, I love the analogy. I'm, now I'm thinking Andre Ward is the Greg Maddox of boxing. Yeah, in some ways. And, you know, there's a lot of areas. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. You know, there's a lot of areas. Listen, his inactivity, some of it self-inflicted because of the whole issues with Danny Goosen and uh, ten, with uh, the Goosen Tudor boxing, and some by injury. Um, so there's the inactivity. Uh, that's an issue. Some question his, some of his opponents in recent years. Uh, so I get why people would criticize some aspects of Andre. I don't find him, I know some people find him to be a really not exciting fighter. I, I don't find that so much. I enjoy watching him fight. Uh, I like to see how he finds ways to win, and it's not that he doesn't throw punches. Uh, he does. He's not a big knockout puncher, but I, I, that's why I think this fight's really fascinating. I don't know if it'll do great uh, pay-per-view numbers. It probably won't, but I think they, they've scaled back their expectations to where it is. And I do think that I, it's hard to, you know, these, those are the kind of fights you want to have on pay-per-view if you're going to have them, fights that, that are really competitive and, um, and, and make a lot of sense. And I think that fight did make sense. You mentioned Stevenson Kovalev. Of course, that's a fight. And there's an example of a fight we should have seen in boxing over the last couple of years. That one bedeviled by promotional and network uh, issues. But Ward and Kovalev, I think, is, you know, I'm glad the fight's being made. I think it'll be interesting. I don't think it'll be a boring fight. Um, and I just kind of lean toward Ward in it. What your network does with Donna Stevenson's fights, when you've talked to him and dealt with him, do you get the feeling that it legitimately is a promotional thing, or do you get the feeling that he really doesn't want to fight this guy? Boy, I don't know. You know, it's so hard to uh, to judge that because it, just when you think you you know it's you know uh, the fighter. I mean, for instance, if you ask me with Canelo and Golovkin, based on everything, is there one fighter that doesn't want to fight the other fighter? I don't, I don't think you have to be a genius to figure out it's Canelo <laughs> that doesn't want to fight Golovkin. You know that you don't have, you don't have to be in a, you know uh, an investigative reporter to figure that out, but. In this case, you could make the case, um, I guess, that, you know, there have been several instances where it was possible for Stevenson and his camp to make the fight. Um, there's no question, I think, some of the impediments came more from that side of the street. Uh, but I don't know whether it's him or, um, or the people around him. Now, one thing I will say about Adonis Stevenson um, you know, I don't know if they have maximized, in fact, I'm sure they haven't, maximized his run as a light heavyweight champion. You know, there's been inactivity. There's been opponents that were questionable um, in a division that, you know, wasn't all that deep anyway. Um, and so, you know, and he got the title as an older fighter. So I thought the pressure was on them to some degree, but yet he's still there and still but, you know, again, being inactive and not really fighting, uh, I don't think, in, in super meaningful fights. So, um, you know, it's been a – I, I just think it's kind of been a squandered opportunity in some ways for him. Ramon, you got one more question, and then we'll let Al go away because we've kept him longer than we did. 
I do. You look uh, as a as a uh, Chicago native. Oh, um, there you go. What, where'd you grow up? No, no, I'm, I'm talking about you. You were Oh, Chicago. for me. I thought maybe you said you were from Chicago. Okay. No, no. We're no, Ohio no. guys in different parts of the country. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, and being a Cubs fan, uh, one last yes. question. Is, is this the year? Well, I hope so. You know, the, the playoffs are always, uh, you know, it's like you could be the greatest team, right, during the course of the year. Just ask the Golden State Warriors about that. Um, and, yeah, and the playoffs, especially in baseball, where pitchers can get high. I mean, last year, I mean, the Cubs were probably a better team than the Mets, but the Mets pitching was, you know, Daniel Murphy got hot. The pitching was fantastic, uh, and they ended up losing. Now, this year, the Cubs, I think, are better positioned. Last year, in my opinion, was a year earlier than they thought they'd be there anyway. Um, right. You know, this year, certainly, they have an opportunity because they have, you know, when, when Jake Arrieta is your third starter in the playoffs, which he probably will be, that's pretty good. Um, yes. And they've got Chapman uh, to close. Um and you know, in position players, they're you know they're they're excellent, and they've got so much depth, and they've got arguably one of the best one or two managers in baseball. Um, so everything looks good for them. But there are several things you have to remember. Number one, it is the Cubs, right? And as, <laughs> as a lifelong Cubs fan, uh, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Um, but but I'm hoping that this year. You know, they want one thing I, that gives me a good feeling is I when I look at the National League, especially, uh, I don't see teams, maybe the Nationals, with uh, but if Strasburg's not healthy, that won't be the case. That has a, a staff that could get really hot and, and dominate you. Um, so I don't see that in any of the National League teams. Uh, and the Cubs certainly are as good in terms of uh, man for man and position players as anybody. And I got to be honest with you. I just want them to get to world series. I want them to win. Of, I want them to win, of course, but I will feel somewhat happy if we could just get to a world series, which has not happened. And how crazy would it be if it was either the Indians and Cubs, Indians not having won since 1948 or the Boston Red Sox and the Cubs, uh, the two teams that Theo uh, Theo broke the curse for them, and now here he is with the Cubs, and the the Red Sox had the long the long uh, uh, you know stretch of not winning as well. So either of those World Series would be, I think, fascinating to see. Well, Ramon and I are both Cleveland guys, so you know which end we're. we're well, you guys got to love it this year. I'll tell you what, that's a that's a really good ball club, and. Um, uh, and you can, I, in my opinion, they or the Red Sox are, I, I think, are the two teams that jump out at me from the American League. So, um, but the Indians have played great baseball. They've just been outstanding. And I used to cover uh, when I, at, when I was at ESPN before I left to go to Showtime. Uh, I was covering a lot of baseball for Sports Center, and I went to Jacobs Field a lot to um, to cover the Indians. This was in the early 2000s. And, um, uh, and it was fun. It's a nice ballpark. And, uh, you know, they came very close before to winning the World mm-hmm. Series uh, against the Marlins, right? But, um, but um, you know, it would, be, it would be an interesting World Series for sure. But we, we still suffer every week with the Browns. That, that's a train that's going to I know. Be, and, you know, that team, is, that team is competitive every single week, even with all their injuries to the quarterback. Um, you know, I, you have to give them the credit. They, they, 
it's so frustrating, though. I've got to be totally frustrating being a Browns fan because in the last seven or eight years, there have been all kinds of times when it looked like they were starting to make progress, and then something untoward would happen, uh, whether it's injuries or whatever else. So, um, but at least at least you guys uh, figured out Terrell Pryor is a good wide receiver, huh? <laughs> Very true. Well, and, and what I really like and what they're doing, Al, is is Hugh Jackson today released Armonte Bryant right after he completed his four game PED suspensions, and we're not going to have if you're in trouble off the field, we don't want you here. So for, yeah, him, for that's, the first time, they're building a culture of accountability. Yeah, and I hope they, they give uh, him, a, uh, the coach there, uh, I think he's really a good coach, and I think I hope they give him an opportunity and give him the tools to work with because I, I think he would he's going to do a good job as as coach there. And, uh, uh, you know, I, they're playing. You know, you get, they, like I said, they've been competitive every week. It's just hard to, you know, they, with, they're not – well endowed now at the quarterback position and uh and and it's hard to win in the NFL when you're not but they're you know they're they're hanging in there and my bears are uh, not looking that great even though they got to win this last week but um you know it's uh, it's been, the NFL's been interesting the NFL's been more like college football with all these crazy finishes Yes, I was a big Northwestern fan so uh I am and this year is a little <laughs> down year for the cats um but and they had that crazy finish with uh, Western Michigan, uh, which was nutty. But uh, and our team out here, the other team I root for is UNLV out here, which has not traditionally had a bad football program. But this year, under Tony Sanchez, uh, they started last year being a little better. I think they just won this weekend. Uh, they may improve a little bit. So, uh, but I love Tony college Sanchez, football. Tony Sanchez hired from high school, a high school coach going yeah, straight was, through Division One. I. I know. Well, you know, they've done everything here. Nobody even complained when they made that hire because they have tried everything. So it couldn't get any worse. You know, they they averaged two wins a season. So what was he going to do that was worse? And as it turns out, Tony Sanchez has been a great hire because he he cha- he is changing the culture here. He just had a great recruiting season for, you know, on the level that UNLV and Mountain West can have. And, um and uh, he's he's very well liked in the community, and this is uh, kind of a dream job for him. So he gets it right off the bat, and uh, and he surrounded himself with very experienced assistant coaches, um, and and I think all of that has made it kind of a good situation. And if the Raiders end up coming here, which is looking like it's at least a decent possibility, uh, they'll be playing in a great new stadium, which will give them, you know, uh, some tools to recruit with. That would literally be the greatest, the greatest home field advantage of all time, right there. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and I think it would allow them. And you know, since they're playing in the Mountain West, it's not like they're in the SEC. So if they could just boost themselves up, they could be a force, uh, certainly in that, in that conference. And uh, they're starting to play better. It's it, it's it's a you know it's a process. But um, but so those are my. Those are my two teams that I root for, and uh, uh, so I have modest goals when it comes to college football. <laughs> Tony Sanchez was he the coach at Bishop Gorman? Yes, he was, and they won. Rem- they won every year. They won the the mythical, you know, national championship for I think for six years uh, that he was there. So they built an amazing program, and it's one of the most you know that people recruit from there. Uh, you know, many of the great players, uh, both in college and NFL, have come from that high school. 
their their current quarterback, Pete Martell, is coming to Columbus for us. For us so uh, oh, we're excited about that. Oh, there you go. All right, yeah. Well, just what you guys need, another great quarterback. You've only <laughs> had 10 in the last two years. You stockpile them there. Uh, but well, uh, when you deal with Urban Meyer, you don't rebuild, you reload. Yeah, Al, no, that's, so that's exactly true. Hey, good to visit with you guys. Next time I come on, we can, uh, we'll can we dig back into the past. Absolutely. Caveman Lee and John Lo Cicero await us. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one, to be sure. Uh, you guys you, take Dan. care. Thanks, All right, thanks a lot, Al. Al that was, was that tremendous or what? He gave us twice as much time as we expected. Yes, that was fantastic. Wow, man, so much to... <laughs> A lot to take from that, man. That was an, that, that was incredible. Thanks, thanks to Al Bernstein for coming on. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had so much to ask him. I right, have, you know, right. it's like I, it's like I said, you know, I, you know, if if we had, I could talk the old days for two hours. I mean, he, he yeah. Al, we probably we monopolized him, Ramona, or, or I did. Um, he said it, originally it was supposed to be fifteen twenty minutes. We did forty five. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the takes were so good, though. You know, we had to, we had to keep talking. That was tremendous. So, Ramon, you want to go for fifteen minutes, or or, or or does that body of work stand for itself with our special possible extra podcast coming up? Yeah, no. I mean, I I think that definitely stands on its own. Uh, there's not much we can say in the aftermath of that incredible interview from Al Bernstein. But yes, tomorrow bonus episode. Sean, give him the details on on our, our episode tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna have a bonus episode with author Christian Judajay. Christian did my show twice in the past, and he's agreed to come on to Fightheads. He's got a brand new book that has just been released earlier this week on the uh, former. Uh, junior featherweight and featherweight and junior lightweight champion, the great Wilfredo Gomez from Puerto Rico. And uh, he, we're going to talk about his book where you can get his book and talk a lot of Gomez, but Christian's also done books on Roberto Duran and Alexis Arguello. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll maybe Ramon will ask him how he, he liked uh, the, the hands of stone Roberto Duran movie. I think it'll be a great show. I really enjoyed talking to Christian in the past. I think this is going to be another winner. Looking forward to it, man. Well, look, thank you guys for listening today. The podcast will be up in roughly an hour. Um, so uh, we appreciate the listens and how Fight Heads Live is growing. Uh, we had Al Bernstein on, uh, on today, and uh, special thanks to him. And we'll be looking to do things like that more in the future. So, um, look, you can follow me on Twitter, at RL Malpica. You can follow Sean, at Thoughts of RS. And um, we will be back tomorrow with the bonus Fightheads Live episode. You guys take care. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>